Welcome to Making Your Impact, a podcast to inspire and equip you to pursue your calling and make your positive impact on the world. I'm your host, Melissa Ike. I have a passion for making an impact, and I also have a passion for helping you make yours. So let's get started. Hello, and welcome back to Making Your Impact. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Melissa Ike. I'm a co-founder and the director of communications and development for the Dragonfly Home, a nonprofit in Oklahoma City that serves survivors of human trafficking. I'm also a writer, speaker, and attorney. And you can learn more about me at melissaike.com. That's Melissa E-I-C-K.com. Today's guest is very special because it is my sister, Jennifer Ike McGon. Jennifer was one of the very first people to influence and inspire me in making a difference in the world. And she has certainly made one herself during her career teaching English as a second language and also parenting my two super awesome nieces. She'd probably disagree with me for saying that about her, but I'm going to let you in on a secret. I'm right. And that's the definitive answer. Real quick before we get into our conversation with Jen, it's time for our Instagram shout out. This week's shout out goes to Shelby Matthews at Shelby Ann Matthews, who follows the podcast Instagram. I met Shelby because she got involved with helping the Dragonfly home, and she is just an all around great gal. She's driven from over an hour away multiple times to attend events. She's raised money. She's done some donation drives for us, and she's just just been wonderful. And I just want to say thank you to you, Shelby, for following the podcast Instagram. You messaged me and said, what? You have a podcast? And I blinked and you had followed the Instagram. So thanks. If you would like a shout out, just follow the podcast Instagram at Making Your Impact. And I may just give you a shout out on the show. So I got the chance to interview my sister, Jen, when we were both in Iowa for Christmas. We were in my parents' basement. So you'll hear some family holiday noise, some bustling about upstairs. Also, my youngest niece, who was 11 but just about to turn 12, was quietly reading in the same room, but she pipes up every so often too, and it's very cute, trust me. So Jennifer and I get into all kinds of topics. She has taught English as a second language in a variety of contexts to a variety of student populations for about 25 years. And mostly she has worked with adults who have immigrated to the U.S. We get into a pretty serious discussion about the reality of what it can look like for people trying to achieve the American dream and the barriers they face and also what it's like for Jennifer to keep pressing on with her work even when it can be hard to not be able to help people more. We also talk about how she engages in some much-needed self-care, considering she has a tween and a teenage daughter, and also how she was super proud to get kicked off a committee last year um, as a move that opened up some time for her to take care of herself better. It's an attitude that I like very much. And then finally, she shares a funny story about me when I was a teenager myself, having my eyes open to the wide world around me. I have no memory of this story that she tells, but... I mean, I got to take some credit because it's apparently remained a joke between her and my brother-in-law some 20 years later. (laughs) Oh boy, just a goofy kid. Okay, let's get into my conversation with my awesome sis. You're my most special guest. I'm sorry to other people. Listen, you're all my friends and I, I think a lot of all of you, but this is my blood my flesh and blood. My sister Jennifer. Hi. Is Jennifer Ike McGon. You guys, 
you're in the presence of greatness no, right now. It's true. She always says it. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. It's a privilege to know you. You could see her face right now, but. No, I've been telling people about you and about the amazing stuff you do. All right. Yes. Well, all of the stuff that you do feeds into the thing that I do. Well. It's true. Let's cheers. Yes. Cheers. That was the sound of Crystal. Very nice. You get sound effects in this episode. You get it. Mm -hmm. And sipping. (laughs) Mm. It's Christmas Eve. Yes. We are in the basement while preparations and goings on are happening upstairs, a preparation of our meal. We're going to open presents tonight. One of my nieces is down here. You might hear her pipe up every so often. She waved. It's not exactly a sound effect or piping up, but you know, she's being quiet. She's specifically being quiet because as your offspring, she's very smart. Yes. Yeah. And respectful. It's true. When I look back at my childhood and think about, you know, I spent some time thinking about what, why did I lead this kind of weird life, you know, like not a traditional life and thinking about how when I was a kid, I felt like I had an awareness to a degree of stuff going on in the world. And I think of you as a great influence for that. Well, for one thing, you and our brothers have always been very encouraging to me. When I was a little environmental activist, you know, yeah. our brother got me a book about kids saving the earth. I still remember that to this awesome. day, you know. And so that encouragement. But then you were somebody who, especially like I'm thinking about back in the 90s, like the early 90s. Yeah. You are a very conscious person and there were, you were paying attention to what was going on in the world. Mm-hmm. And, and I feel like you helped me think about those things. And think about what my responsibility, what my role could be, because you took that seriously. Wow. And then one of my specific memories is that you worked, you're going to have to tell everybody about this, about Conscious Cotton in the in the mall in West Des Moines. You wore like bohemian outfits, maybe? Probably. Probably. What was that place? Because I just have a childhood memory of it. Uh, it's a tie-dye store. A tie-dye, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> just cute stuff. Yeah. Uh, and organic cotton, organic cotton, probably. And lots of like peace sign buttons. Peace sign buttons. And you also listen to you too. And I, I equate you too with being knowledgeable about what's going on oh, in the world. Always been activist. For sure. Yeah. I mean, Bono has basically saved everyone. Yes. So, <laughs> um, so I wanted to talk to you though. Another thing is that you, you were getting your master's degree in ESL when I was like in middle school mm. and I think that shaped a lot of how I just view the world mm-hmm. and view other people. So what do you remember? Do you remember? Well, I, like, what? I would step back just a little. Okay. Yeah. When I was a junior in college, I had the opportunity to study abroad. Right. And I can't claim that it was due to ambition or whatever. I think I just kind of followed. Sure. And That's so cool I, to do. Got, I was able, I had the opportunity to spend my junior year in Spain. And so that was just a great time for a little bit of a conscious awakening on yeah. my part to the world being different mm-hmm. than my world that I'd always known and grown up in. Right. So that's, I think, how I was able to start thinking about other people in other places. And during that time while I was there, I had an Irish friend and she was there in Spain because she was teaching English at a language institute. And she said, hey, you know, we often need subs. Uh, do you want a sub? And I think it was for a thousand pesetas for an hour. 
which is about 10 bucks. Hey, not bad. An hour. And I thought, ah, oh, great. Mm-hmm. And it was cash, you know, mm-hmm. cash money. And so I went in there and it was high school kids after school. And I just wasn't given really much of anything to do for this hour that I was to occupy these kids with English language for an hour. And I realized that, A, this was about the most fun I could possibly have, but B, I didn't know how to teach. Mm. And so that's, it was my junior year in college midway through that I realized what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. So it was kind of late to that point. I really had no idea. And I didn't know that it was actually a thing that you could do, Mm -hmm. except that I did know because when I was in elementary school in the 70s are when the wave of refugees from Southeast Asia came to my school Mm -hmm. and I made friends with them and they were from Laos and Vietnam and Cambodia and from from these places and I think my school I think our our Des Moines district not knowing what to do with them did a really good job with them okay and um I remember at holidays singing a song in Laotian Mm. we had to learn a, a song in Laotian for these kids And I remember that these kids would be partly integrated with us and partly pulled out. And I remember that they had this ESL teacher who was this really, really kind, sweet lady, and they just adored her. And she was just so kind and so sweet. And I don't remember her name or what she even looked like, except that she was so kind and so sweet and they just adored her. So that must have been somehow in the back of my mind as well. But I always knew I didn't want to teach kids because I don't think I'm a patient enough person. Mm -hmm. But then at some point I realized, oh, you can teach adults. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's so cool. So I, I think that's kind of what that's yeah. that's what resonated. Oh, I could teach adults English language. Right. Yeah. I didn't know those stories. You probably no. told me about your Irish friend at some point, but I did okay. not remember about that. Yeah. So that's kind of what gave you the taste for it. That's what made okay. me figure out. It was kind of a relief to figure out yeah. what I wanted to do for the rest of my life because I was really late in figuring that out. Well. And uh, And so then after college, then I took a year off before grad school, just because I had to then apply to grad schools. And so it was during that year off between college and grad school that I worked at that job at the mall because I was working like three jobs at a time. Right. Okay. I was working at the Thai restaurant and Uh I was working at Garcia's. Uh I was also that year worked at the YMCA downtown. Oh, wow. And And for the construction company where you drove the truck? That was uh, previous. Oh, okay. Oh, I also was a cocktail waitress at... Johnny's Hall of Fame. Wow. So I had a lot of jobs. So funny because, you know, as a kid, time is so fluid and Mm -hmm. you don't understand like those timelines, but I love timelines. So I remember you talking about all of those jobs, but I did not know that that was a timeline for you. Okay. So it was was just crunch time, work as many hours as I can, save as much money as I can, and then apply to grad schools. And then it was when I was offered the teaching assistantship to cover my tuition plus some cost of living living expenses. At Ball State University that I ended up there and that was the best thing that could have happened. It's really the best place I could have gone for that degree. So I remember then, okay, visiting you there. First of all, you met your husband, Jose Luis. Yes. Um, And I remember visiting you and you had this community of people, which I feel like most of them were from Latin or South America, Most were Latin American. Okay. You just had this amazing community of people and you would all like cook together and have parties all the time. You were like dancing in the kitchen to music. And I was like, well, this doesn't seem bad at all. You also, okay. So let's see. Then you got married and you were living in Mexico. You were living in Colombia some over a few years, but you wound up in Chicago mm-hmm. my senior year of high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would have been like February 99? Uh, yes. Okay. Well, we moved to 
Chicago in June of 99. June of 99. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So with my my master's in TESOL, mm-hmm. up to that point, I'd been teaching in universities. Mm-hmm. And so then when we moved to Chicago that fall, my first job was at University of Illinois at Chicago, but I was teaching Spanish. Okay. Oh, so right. I taught three sections of Spanish 102. Yeah. I was teaching Spanish at UIC and I was like, oh, okay, so... The students were interesting. They were very diverse. A lot of them were kids of immigrants from all over the place. Chicago kids. Yeah. It's a commuter campus mostly. So it's mostly uh, young people living at home. But I also was like, oh, gee, I'm in it. was a a diverse student body. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. But I was like, maybe I kind of like teaching my people from other countries more than I like teaching Americans, which is, which is terrible. But um, even, even in universities in Mexico and in Colombia, Uh For the most part, there was a real desire to learn mm-hmm. and to work hard for that. Mm-hmm. Like they actually, there was actual interest in learning and a real desire to learn and work hard for that. I think that for my students at UIC, it was a grade. Yeah. There was interest in getting a grade. Yeah. Fulfilling a requirement. Fulfilling a requirement and getting a grade. And so that it's just a different kind of motivator. Mm-hmm. Well, and I realized that I kind of like sped through the fact that you taught English then in Mexico and in Colombia. At universities, right? yes. What a what an interesting it's just not the experience that most people get. And then when I was in grad school, so prior to that in grad school, and then also between the Mexico and Colombia years, I taught at American universities and I taught in intensive English programs and so I taught the international students mm-hmm. who were in intensive English programs uh, at those universities. So it was yeah. international students from all over the world and had a lot of experiences with that Mm -hmm. but and then the that being you know a real multicultural classroom whereas in Mexico my students were basically Mexican sure a couple Central American students but Uh and then in Colombia my students were basically Colombian so very monolingual monocultural yeah as opposed to so it's a little bit different teaching approach but but I mean it's just you've gotten you've been teaching English in so many Mm -hmm. different yeah scenarios now, I think that it, for you to have a specific desire to teach people from other who are not American, I just think that's that's what a calling is, right? I think it's really selfish on my part. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's your passion? Your because passion. I mean, because it's it's always so interesting. Yeah, and it's always so fun, and yeah. there's so much that I get to learn from that. Right. And then I learned so that after that semester at UIC, then I started teaching at DePaul in their intensive English program. And I was there for four years and teaching, again, international students Mm -hmm. from all over the world. But then once I had babies, once I had babies, then I went into the teaching of Uh part-time at the local community college. Was that Prairie State? First, it was at Truman College. Okay. Okay. On uh, the north side of Chicago. Okay. And um, it was a credit program. So it was like a credit communication classes for... Mm -hmm. Students who were, these students now were not international students, they were immigrants. Mm-hmm. And they were, so I, I want to, I like to use the word immigrant because I feel like that word's been co-opted by people mm-hmm. to say ugly things. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I think, to, to me, the word immigrant is a beautiful word. Yeah. So I had then students for the first time who were immigrants, wow. who were not privileged right. international students. Because in order to be an international student, you have to... Like even submit bank accounts to demonstrate that you have means to support yourself once you're in the United States. Mm-hmm. You have to, and then those programs for international students are very, very, very expensive. Uh-huh. So you've got to be, you, and you've had 
um, you take for granted prior educational experiences in your home country. Mm -hmm. So once you get into, even, even though I was at a credit program there, so these were people who were pursuing associate's degrees at a community college in Chicago. And it was like, oh, that was even a a little different world. And then when we moved south of Chicago and I started teaching, first I was at a community college in the southwest suburbs called Moraine Valley, where the students were mostly... So so a community college is representative of the demographic of that area. Sure, yeah. You know, there's because you pay in-district tuition if you live within that district and you pay taxes within that district for that community college. So they represent the demographic of that district. And so in this Moraine Valley, they were largely Polish and Russian, Eastern European, and also Arabic speaking. Mm -hmm. So kind of Middle Eastern. Okay. Jordan, Lebanon, Mm -hmm. Palestine. So from those, a lot of students from those areas and maybe a token person from Mexico or Latin America here and there. And then when I started teaching at Prairie State, which is... A seven-minute commute. Uh-huh. Nice. Very close to my house. My students are mostly Mexican there. Okay. But they also come from 30-some countries in my entire program. Wow. So there was a really a big transition for you is moving from university students or international students to, to serving now an immigrant population. And do you feel like that kind of flipped a switch? I found my something? true love. That's awesome. I love that. Should we, Should we take a break? Oh, oh well, yeah, that's we fine. We were on a break. <laughs> we will be right back after this. Are there any stories that you would want to share? One of the hardest things about my job is when I've got a student who's just, you know, a student, these are just grownups. When I say student, I'm not talking about kids. For the most part, I'm talking about grownups who have kids and jobs and, you know, they're making it very busy lives. So because student could... One could hear that and think, you know, college student, yeah. young person. Mm-hmm. When I've had a student who's just a standout, just the of the hardest working, smart, mm-hmm. delightful, kind, just incredible values that just they just live through and through. You know, even to where they can be annoyed when their classmates don't do their homework because of the the life that they lead, and they're staying up until two in the morning just to do homework, and they've got up at six to or four or whatever, you know, just really, 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 really hardworking people. And in that I learned that this, so in this person who's interested in doing this and who wants to go into that or do whatever, and they can't because they don't have a social security number. And it's like, oh, it just, it breaks my heart every time because they'll learn English and they'll progress from level to level and they'll work so hard and their English will get so good. And then they'll kind of tap out of their program and then they're like, okay, well, I can't apply for financial aid and I obviously can't go into healthcare or I can't go into accounting or I can't go into, you know, all these different types of fields that they would be, they're the kind of people that you want taking care of you or doing your taxes or, you know, whatever, this kind of person. And they can't because without a social security number, a background check cannot be run on them. And so they're ineligible for all these occupations. And so then just as they go from being a gung-ho student to just seeing how, as they've hit that point where now they're done with ESL, they can go on. Mm -hmm. They're kind of like, why bother? That's, that's really getting to me more and more. Or, you, or even if they could enter a field, again, they're, they're ineligible to apply for federal financial aid. And mm-hmm. so the tuition burden yeah. Yeah, yeah, is yeah. just not something that they can 
even conceive of. Right. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. you know, if, if someone, we have a, someone who actually d- is able to scrape up the money to do something, we want them to go into fields that could be entrepreneurial, such as HVAC, you know, heating, ventilation, welding. Yeah. You know, or I don't know, welding, I guess you can, anyone will hire a welder. They don't care if they have a social or not. HVAC, you can become, run your own business eventually. Mm-hmm. So we try to, you know, or automotive or electrical engineer, try to put them, but those all, did you hear all those fields? Yeah. They're all kind of man. They, yeah, they're all kind of man. They're just not going to appeal to everybody. They're not going to appeal to everybody. And so, you know, if we have students who want to become teachers. Right. Who can become a teacher. Right. Right. And these are people who are so smart and they so, should be teachers. So they should be teachers. Yeah. We want smart people to be teachers. Yeah. And people who want to be teachers. People who want to, to be, be teachers. teachers. Should be teachers. So mm. I just think, you know, we're not only providing barriers that are really just don't make any sense in the grand scheme of things, but mm-hmm. we're also as a country shooting ourselves in the foot. Yeah. Who Who's built our country? Mm-hmm. It's always been immigrant labor. Yeah. We've always, we, you know, have to look up, it was our, our, our ancestors. ancestors who built up our country. Right. Yeah. And I just think about how lazy I am compared, well, comparatively. comparatively. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Because right. these are people I think of my grandparents yeah. and how, how the work ethic that they had. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's who my students remind me of are my grandparents. Right. Yeah. It's that greatest generation. They built the economy that we're yes. standing on. It's that greatest yeah. generation. Mm-hmm. That's, that's who. The economy, my students are the infrastructure, the the people who kept things going. Yeah, yeah, who made it so we can be doing what we're doing yeah. right now. Let's say we've got all this stuff going on, and Grin Barrett, you got to go to work. You got to work hard. Yeah, you got to work several jobs, yeah. and then you got to do this, and then you got to do that. Mm-hmm. And you know, if I were to go to their house, their house will be clean. right. <laughs> <laughs> There's that too. Is <laughs> that a bummer? Well, it's kind of a bummer. Up. Sorry, it's a bummer, but it's okay. I'd like to be inspiring. Okay, but like the thing is that most people, okay, some people don't think about what you're talking about. Some people might think about what you're talking about and and want to do something about it, but they might not know what to do and you're doing it. Well, yeah. I know you're going to disagree with me, but I mean, you're doing something. So I'm doing what I love and what I enjoy. So I I love language and I love teaching and I love learning about people from other places Mm -hmm. So I get to do all of those things. I, like, I feel like my job is something I get to do. Right. I mean, though, that's, it, I mean, okay, if if one of the people who you're teaching, though, wants to become a teacher and somehow gets the opportunity to become a teacher and they love it every day, you're not going to think of that person as selfish. They should be the one doing that job because it's their passion. They should love what they do every day. You can shrug at me all you want. And I know <laughs> that I'm right. And I'm going to stand here in my rightness. <laughs> also, you teach uh, citizenship yeah. classes. So I'm in, what I'm in is called adult education. Mm -hmm. And so adult education programs are partly, uh, they vary from state to state because uh, federal funds will kick in if state funds are present. And so if, for example, this, I'm real close to the state of Indiana, but Indiana doesn't have adult education programs because they don't put forth the state funding. So then there's no federal funding act, you know, Mm -hmm. to match that. Mm -hmm. Whereas in Illinois, there's state support and then federal funding to match that. And then also the college that I teach at also fronts up some money mm-hmm. to support our program too. And what's a little bit different about my adult education program from some others is that in my community college, it's also um, faculty positions that teach as opposed to just warm bodies who speak mm-hmm. English or warm bodies who want to teach reading or math to right. people who are non-high school graduates. Yeah. So so we have a pretty cool program yeah. and hold all of our instructors to a really high standard of preparation. 
Tell me, say what your actual title is there. I should have said that at the beginning, it's but really I long. forgot. Uh, associate Professor slash Coordinator of English as a Second Language. Okay. Yes. I so, mean, it's long, but it's manageable. Yeah. So I get to coordinate the program, too. Yeah. Which is pretty great. Yeah. And we have classes mornings and evenings, and we, like you were mentioning, we offer citizenship classes. So they're preparation for the citizenship yeah. test. And I, I love teaching those. There's these 100 questions yes. that one needs to know uh-huh. how to answer correctly in order to pass the citizenship, the civics test of yes. the citizenship interview. And there's also right. an English language component mm-hmm. to the citizenship My test. My friend, Desi, her parents, I helped them study long time ago nice. when they were becoming um, citizens. So I helped her, her dad say, well, I basically what I did was I sat in their living room. I'm like, oh, look at these questions. And so I asked him some of the questions. And you know what was interesting is the one I remember is the question was something like, and you'll know it, it was like, what is the greatest, basically the greatest right afforded by the Constitution or something like that? I thought uh, maybe freedom of speech, freedom of expression. It's the right to vote. The test has changed. Okay, well, this was probably, this is at least 10 years ago, if not longer. The test has changed, and I think actually for the better. Okay, well, but still, I was like, I'm an American citizen. I have higher education. It was before law school, but I'm like, I don't know if I would have, I would have said freedom of speech, and that would have been wrong, you know, which was just kind of interesting. So in my my other uh, volunteer interest, which is in our local League of Women Voters, Uh Something that we'll do when we'll do a little event where we want to attract new members is mm-hmm. we'll put we'll have questions from the citizenship test yeah. and say, "Hey, could you pass the citizenship right. test?" Yeah, and uh, just as a little catch, sure, you know, a little marketing ploy. Yeah, and it's kind of fun, and most people don't. No, because they're very don't. specific. No. They're regarding the Constitution, regarding right. United States history. Yeah. Oh, I mean, just watch like any person on the street interview for a comedy show. People don't know that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a higher, yeah. it's a higher bar yes. set. Tell me, I enjoyed a story that you were telling me earlier. So there's a Simpsons marathon on right now that my nieces have been enjoying. Well, you as well have oh, been yeah. enjoying. And you were saying, the- yeah. So a guy who was uh, in my citizenship class this last semester is from Togo, West Africa. He his English is very, very good, mm-hmm. and he was saying that he watches The Simpsons to learn American culture. Yeah, and it's great. That's the place he- to do it. Oh yeah, because he gets it. Yeah. He gets it. And I was like, you know, once in a while something will come up in class just regarding our our history isn't all great. Right. A lot of human rights abuses just written right into United States history. and Written um, into the Constitution, actually, in its original form. But anyway, yes. So, um, you know, and once in a while I'll just pause and say, you guys sure you want to, you know, hop on this ship? (laughs) (laughs) It's not all pretty, but uh, yes. no nation is perfect. No, and and they'll right. often they'll be able to say, you know, hey, it, in our country, corruption is worse. They're, and they'll be from various countries, and they'll say, yeah. we know your country isn't perfect. Yeah, we're not going into this blindly. Right. We don't have any dreams. Illusions. Yeah, with it's illusions, exactly. They, they say, but our our countries are really corruption is worse, yeah. and politics are worse, mm-hmm. and our judicial system is worse, and so they say, well, we'll yeah. take it. Right. It's still better. Yeah. And then your husband also became, when did Jose Luis become an American citizen? It was in fall of 2007 because I was pregnant with the with girl sitting across the room from me right now. This one over here. Yes. All right. Okay. Yes. She was in my tongue okay. at the time. Nice. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah, and like, he he was saying today when we were talking about this earlier that was of, of an American friend of his was like, now our problems are your problems. Oh, yeah. Welcome to the party. Yep. Oh, that's awesome. Yep. 
Oh, I remember what else I wanted to talk to you about because you're an awesome mom. Oh. You're an ad. Okay. I'm going to talk to you, listener. Ah, did you hear that? No. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> she knows. Well, anyway, I'm going to talk to the person listening because you're going to argue with me and make faces at me. Jennifer is a great mom and admirable mother. One who is doing it right. So let's see. Your daughters are in their early almost, teens. Almost, almost. Yeah. Do we say that? I guess we're not saying their names. They're four years apart. Four years apart. Um, in their early teens, and they are early very what? Early to mid. Early to mid teens. That's what we'll say. That's right. She's straight up mid, isn't she? Mm. So your daughters are pretty engaged. In this world. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of mm -hmm. the same thing that you did for me when I was just a little tyke. You're helping them to... They are. They're also just smart beings of their own. Yeah. They are. Mm -hmm. They they hear things. They learn things. They perceive things. For sure. They process things. Mm -hmm. They ask about things and talk about mm -hmm. things. What's coming up for... What's next in your 2020? So this year has been... I've been taking it a little bit easier just because last year I pushed it a little too hard. Yeah, you got to. Yeah. We talk a lot about self-care on this show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've been I've been all about that this school year. My my years are kind of like what, you know, business people would consider fiscal years for oh, me yeah. are like school years. Sure. You know, so it's more of a, you know, August to June sort of thing. Okay. Like a teacher, you know. Yeah. And this year has just been enormously better. Okay, good. Because of that? Okay, well then tell me, what do you, what does that look like for you kind of taking it easy a little bit or engaging in some form of self-care? What does that look like? Able to say no to a thing here and there. That's big. Actually, I, I got um, one of my prouder moments this fall was I got kicked off a committee. Nice. Yeah, <laughs> it was great. So it, I got the breakup call from the chair of the committee. And I think that she hadn't expected me to pick up. And she was like, you know, we're just kind of moving in a different direction. And <laughs> and when, it, when in fact, when they asked for stuff, I just, it was on my to-do list, but it was last yeah. and I didn't get there. Yeah. Because I wasn't going to kill myself for that. Right. That's just basically, I wasn't going to kill myself for that. It was last on my to-do list every week. Yeah. And I wasn't even getting to stuff I really, 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 really needed to do all the time. So it wasn't getting done. And that's what she, I mean, so. you, this expectation that we're going to kill ourselves first, for, I mean, for our jobs, but for like a volunteer thing. No, man. No. Well, I also have the luxury of, you know, I, I didn't have to. Right. And they couldn't like, there wasn't any retribution to be had. So that's a luxury. And I know not everyone can do Sure. That. Right. Right, right. So she was like, well, I hope you're, you know, are you okay with, you know, uh, and I was like, yeah. This is the greatest phone call I've like, ever received. Like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, real cool with that. And I, I was meeting with someone at that moment in my office and I was like, put down the phone and said, yeah, I just got kicked off Free. the <laughs> One more Tuesday morning a month. Nice. I love that. I think that like people are starting to slowly but surely kind of turn the tide Toward that, toward thinking that way. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, it was lovely. And also now I go to the gym once a week. Nice. I heard that you kind of worked out a new schedule to to enable yourself to do that. Yes. Okay. Yes. That's nice. Just once a week. Just once a week, man. It makes a huge difference in how sure. I feel. Sure, I'm sure it does. <laughs> well, and that's something else I feel like um, when it comes to self-care, things that I read, things that I hear is that people maybe think of it on too grand a scale, what self-care is. It has to be something that I do every single day. I have to now add stress in my life to de-stress, and that's just not it at all. Just doing one thing, one thing a week, 
And that that makes a huge difference Mm -hmm. for you. Mm -hmm. Very cool. So to someone out there who is who is a mom, who is working, who wants to be engaged and, you know, maybe feels that kind of pressure, feels pressure to achieve every single thing, feels pressure to be a perfect mom, but they, you know, they want to dedicate time toward things that are important to them. I don't know. Do you have any, any advice that you would say? It's so individual. Yeah. Dif- you know, just different people need different things. Mm-hmm. I think regarding your kids. Yeah. Be humble. Okay. <laughs> I just got a head nod from that one. <laughs> be humble because we're not perfect. Yeah. And we can't expect them to be perfect. Mm-hmm. And in the way that sometimes we don't feel up to stuff. Well, guess what? Sometimes they don't feel up to stuff. So I think... My mom was a human being and had, I mean, sometimes it would just like kind of reach limits. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes we just kind of, as moms, we reach limits. And to try to just plow through and fake it isn't fooling anyone. Mm -hmm. And um, it's not doing us any good and it's definitely not doing our kid any good. So sometimes we just need to crash and, and sometimes they do too. I don't know. I guess that's the only thing is, is like we all have our limits. Yeah. Holding what ourselves. we can do and what we can't. And, so, and I'll see sometimes people just sort of killing themselves. And I think that's not, that's a lot of stress mm-hmm. that's being generated by this yeah. situation. And there's enough stress already. There's enough stress already. Well, I, it's just kind of like trying to hold ourselves and the people around us to reasonable standards. Yeah. And then just understanding that plowing through today means that at what point down the road, next week, next year, you're just building yourself up for a bigger crash than trying to pull in the reins a little bit now, give yourself a little bit of a break, give your kids a little bit of a break Mm -hmm. now, rather than trying to just keep on grinding Mm -hmm. all the time. It's unsustainable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. Or yeah, it's unsustainable. And then it becomes fake. Yeah. Okay. To us and to them. Yeah. And they know what's fake. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. And maybe also as you're doing that, tell them that you're doing that. Give them the benefit of the doubt of understanding. Mm -hmm. And even if they maybe don't necessarily, they're still going to internalize it. Yeah. So you're setting a, you're also modeling more positive behavior. Yeah. Talk, talk to your kid. Yeah. I like that. Hang with them. They're cool peeps. Well, your kids are especially cool (laughs) peeps. They're cool peeps. She's grinning over there. (laughs) Is there any silly story about me that you would tell on me from when I was a kid? (laughs) Can I tell you one? Yeah. Can I say one? Okay. Here's a funny story. I asked you to. Okay. Here's a funny story. I don't know how you're going to feel about this. Well, guess I'm the, I'm the one in charge of editing, so I can keep it or not. Okay. So this was cute. When we very, very, very first moved to Chicago. Oh, so I was in high school. Yeah. You were in high school. Yeah. So you weren't a little kid. I wasn't a little kid. Okay. Lay it on me. (laughs) So when we were very, 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 very first moved to Chicago, you visited. Uh Uh-huh. We were driving around and you saw an IHOP and you said, you said something cute like, oh, there's an IHOP. They got an IHOP here. Wow. They've got everything. <laughs> Did I really? <laughs> and so, so ever since then, every time I was there, we said, I see an IHOP. We said, wow, we've got an IHOP here. They got everything. <laughs> oh my gosh. I don't remember that. <laughs> it was my so cute. My eyes were opened to the greater world. <laughs> <laughs> the word international is right in there. So. <laughs> Oh, that's so funny. Yeah, it was on North Clark Avenue. I wonder why. Maybe we didn't have them in Iowa yet? Surely we did. Oh, there was an IHOP across. It, it, was, it wasn't IHOP. It was an International House of Pancakes across the street from my elementary school when I was in elementary school. What? It was International, the very original, original International House of Pancakes. Oh, that's so funny. 
Oh, I love that. You saw something familiar That's in it. a sea of unfamiliarity. I guess so. Yeah. I guess so. You saw something familiar. And you're Maybe like, I was oh. like, there's the taste of Iowa right here in Chicago, a mere six hours not even three hours from Iowa. I can't believe it. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. It was really cute. Oh, I remember visiting you and I was like, this place is amazing. Well, I first parents took me on a trip to Chicago after seventh grade and I thought it was pretty cool then. And I've always, you've lived in some really like interesting different parts of the city. It's always been fun to see. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I guess that's it. Shall we clink again? Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. I know that there are some kind of heavy parts in there and some lighter parts, but I think it's so important in this podcast to look at the reality of what it really means to make a difference in the world. I've said this before, it's important to not glamorize making your impact. When you have this calling, this passion in your heart that you know you have to pursue, you make a decision to tackle hard issues that are affecting people's lives, it gets messy and it's not perfect and it's not linear. You know, sometimes it feels like you're taking two steps forward and one step back or more than one step back. And it can be discouraging sometimes when you're walking with people who are going through hard things. I think people go into it thinking it's going to be all inspirational, sparkly win after win but that's that's not really the case. I know that's certainly not been my experience. There's value in it. You can learn from it. It strengthens you. It galvanizes your passion. And, and sometimes those hard things can keep you moving forward. But then also you have to be mindful of those hard things and, and whether or not they're going to lead to burnout. So that's why we talk about self-care on this show. That's why we talk about practical tools to help us keep going. That's why I want to help you keep going because I mean it when I say that the world needs you to make your impact. And so we have to support each other and be there for each other so that we can continue to do our good work, all of us. I love sharing Jen's words with you because she's the real deal. She has hung in there. She has overcome barriers, raised two brilliant and good-hearted daughters. She's fought for the underdog, and she's not given up even when she's felt like it. She hasn't just talked the talk. She has walked that freaking walk. And if my sister does, in fact, listen to a podcast for the first time, by listening to this episode. Jen, you might be rolling your eyes at me by saying this. You might try to downplay it. And that's fine because you do what you do. But this is my podcast, so I get to say what I want. And you're awesome. So there. And I love you. Now it's time for a feature. Let's get into some listener feedback. I've been getting pretty consistent feedback from one particular listener for some time about the podcast. It's my own dear mom. So I decided why not keep this episode in the family today and share some of Glenda Ike's words with you. So in this first email that I received from my mom, it was about episode 22 when I talked with Shayla Raquel. We talked about self-care and how some people we know in some generations above us may not be super into self-care and may even give us a hard time for practicing it. Of course, that is a generalization, doesn't include everybody, but it's important to know for this message that all of my siblings are solidly in Generation X. So my mom reached out with some information. Just listen to episode 22 with Shayla made me think about you saying your siblings might not be into self-care. Do you remember that Dave and Dan have been into daily yoga for years? They were undoubtedly ahead of their time. 
Interestingly, Jen and I talked recently, and she and Jose Luis have developed a plan that helps her have time to go to the gym to run a day or two a week. I think that will make a great difference for her. More evidence that self-care is vitally important. I'm learning from you, too. You're helping many with this podcast. Keep up the great work, my beautiful girl. Love you beyond measure. Oh, one more thing. Dad, too, is benefiting from time away from his desk, and it helps keep him healthy. I think that's awesome. So my siblings have been super into self-care. I should have mentioned that, but I didn't. And I think it's it's awesome that people at any age can start um, engaging in self-care when they learn about it and become aware of that practice. Okay, email number two. Hi, babe. Now listen, not very many people in this world could get away with calling me babe, but my mom is one of them. Hi, babe. I like your word for 2020. I thought, quote, fresh eyes on older topics, fresh breath to clear cobwebs from your mental state, fresh ideas to build upon. Oh, my word of the year was fresh. It still is fresh. It's still the year. I think my word might be believe. I'm believing for healing for so many, and I believe I'm seeing it in some people I'm praying for, including myself. Also, I've been believing to be able to focus better, stay with a project longer, and think more clearly, and I've seen that happening. Feels good. I so enjoy your podcast and look forward to them. Love you. And in fact, my mom just finished a huge work project not that long ago. So see, the believing is working for her. And of course, a special thank you to my mom. Thank you for your feedback, mom. Uh, My mom is always there for pretty much anyone with an encouraging word, with prayer, with support. And she, of course, was the very first person to help me believe that I can make my impact. So thank you, mom. I love you. If you would like to participate in listener feedback, well, you can do so by commenting, just leaving your comments about any episode um, on the podcast Instagram at Making Your Impact. You can email me at hello at melissaike.com and you can leave a voicemail at 405-456-9010. Let's wrap up this episode with your question of the up, a cue of the E. Today's is, who was one of the first people in your life to inspire or influence you in making your impact? And in what way? Leave your answer to the question in the podcast Instagram at Making Your Impact on the post for episode 36. I'll see you back here next week to inspire and equip you on your journey to pursuing your calling and making your difference in the world. Until then, please subscribe to this podcast to get inspired and remember that the world needs you to make your impact.